Welcome back to Judging Book Covers Podcast, a bi-weekly book club podcast where I bring on two guests to read a book suggested by one of the guests. This week, I am joined by Tracy Tanoff and Ryan Lynch, and we read Restless by William Boyd at Tracy's recommendation. How are you guys doing? I'm good. I am very well. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why this is so awkward. Like, I haven't recorded for three weeks. I think that might be the problem. <laughs> We're just like, this is weird. <laughs> um, so, Tracy, why did you pick this book? Um, so, I read it uh, about three years ago, and it, it came to mind immediately just because um, female spies. At first, it was because you and I were talking about Agent Carter, and I happened to recommend the miniseries to you because it stars Haley Atwell. And then when you asked me to be on this podcast with Ryan, I had like this vague memory of the, um, there's the plot line of the, um, the, the World War II plot line of the female spy. And then there's her daughter, which takes place in the seventies. And there's like a lot of like political action involved and like protesting. And I was like, <laughs> Ryan. And so I decided to pick this book. <laughs> I think that's a pretty solid reason. I still haven't finished the miniseries, but I do want to talk about it later a little bit uh i ended up going down a rabbit hole of uh, my friend said suit uh supergirl i was like oh yeah jeremy jordan and then suddenly i was watching many hours of people singing disney and jeremy jordan <laughs> and newsies and things like that so <clears throat> that's been my week uh ryan what'd you think of the book i'm so sorry guys oh no oh no <laughs> I really didn't like this book. Shut up, are you being serious? I'm being totally serious. Oh my gosh. I knew this was going to happen. I was like, somebody oh. won't tell us what he thinks. So. so, I make it a habit of not discussing anything before I record about a thing. Because I always, once I get started, I mean, you guys both talk to me a little bit about Star Wars and know that once I start, I cannot stop. <laughs> So I was like, I'm not going to say anything. But yes, I regret to inform you that oh, no. I really didn't like this book. <laughs> oh. It wasn't like a uniform. I have more nuanced opinions of that. I contain multitudes. But yeah, I will get into it when it is appropriate. <laughs> um, well, I overall enjoyed this. I, I have some thoughts on the daughter's story. Um, but overall, I, I really enjoyed this. And it was a fairly quick read. Like, uh, once I got about halfway through, I think I sat down and finished the rest. So, um, for those who haven't read this book, this book is told in two storylines. We have, it starts with the daughter, Ruth, who is a English teacher, uh, as a second, English as a second language teacher, uh, in England. And she goes to visit her mother, who I guess has always been a paranoid person, um, and it seems like her paranoia has kind of gone off the rails and she passes on some papers, which turns out to be her biography of a spy in World War II, which is the second storyline. And her mother starts, her mother starts, her mother was born a Russian, uh, but becomes a spy for the British. And without giving too much away up front, it's, it's two storylines of everything that happened during World War II up until her mom basically escapes the war and then um, how the daughter copes with finding out her mother is a spy uh, and coming to terms with maybe her mother's not actually crazy, but it was actually a spy. 
So, <laughs> um, so yes, I I'm a sucker for spy, spy novels, especially if they're female spies. Not so much male spies. Like I can't do the whole James Bond thing, but if you're like female spies, I'm pretty much like, yeah, I don't care what the story is. I'm reading it. Yeah. So, and I, this is for me. I think we're really in a point where that's really becoming like more of a thing. Like last year we had Atomic Blonde. This year there's going to be um, Red Sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence. It's also based on a book. And it just seems like all of a sudden that's like um, there's a, a British female spy series called The Bletchley Circle, which just today I found out is getting revived after being canceled a couple years ago. So like all of a sudden it's like female spies are like more of a thing. And I'm really excited about that. Yes. Me as well. I did not realize that Jennifer Lawrence was a spy movie or, or a book. So maybe I will actually give that one a try because the commercials aren't doing it much justice. I yeah. want to officially say that it is. I am not one of those like dude bros that like hates <laughs> like, oh, I can't. These SJWs pushing these like women. That's I have no problem with that at all. And I like found more so the mother's character a lot more intriguing and engaging for me than the daughter. But I do have some issues about how the women are written. I noticed that yes. too a little more this time around. I was I I like didn't really notice it so much the first time, but there were like a couple points during this listening that I was like, okay, that's maybe like a I have this thing about like men writing women and there's like certain points yes. where it'll be like there's a couple of points where Ava, the mother character, like early in the the book, she's being like hit on by like this bread seller and she's like thinking like, "Uh, I'm being hit on again." And I was like, okay, that's like a man writing a woman. Like, you know, like, like, there's this line about how, like, it's it's a curse. Like, I will, it's something like, I will make you beautiful, but I will make you incredibly hard to please. And I'm like, yeah, that's definitely, like, a guy thing. I think I pulled yeah. up the book at that point and, like, looked at the cover and was like, oh, yeah, this is totally a dude. Which is funny, because when I went to look for interviews with the author or anything that he's really, like, talked about why he wrote this book... Um, I found a review that basically started with like, he's so well known for how wonderfully well he writes women and how much women love his books because of how much he can get into the female mind. And I was like, okay, 2006. Because so, <laughs> <laughs> for me, it, it was that stuff for sure. But also like, I feel like he writes both the narrators, like uh, the daughter and the mother well one thing i want to point out is the daughter's story is told first person and the mother's is told yes. third person and which i did like the narrative split that way but i found it really weird that they both have this like weird impulsive side where like all of a sudden and this only happens a couple of times but it was so jarring to me where all of a sudden they're just like i just want to have sex with this guy so yes. bad and i did it <laughs> 10 minutes ago and i was like that's weird and at one point she's even like it's not even because of him because like i want to stress that i'm not being manipulated this by this guy i'm a strong female character but damn that guy looks fine and i'm like this is weird i don't know i just need a warm body beside me get a dog yeah they're furnaces it it works yeah i have yeah. to i have to admit the thing that 
didn't work for me the most, like both times I read this, is um, Ava, the mother, has her affair with um, Lucas Romer, her spy master, and like both times that she's like about to fuck him, I'm like, no. I'm like, when I was <laughs> reading this it. book, Don't I'm like, stop it. Like, why are you doing this? Like, it does and... change her. I mean, her narrative is about the war, and then when she starts having this affair, it's almost all about the affair. Yeah, and then it just yeah. becomes, not like, each one of her chapters is like, she wanted to fuck him so bad. I'm like, you're better yes. than this. Like, <laughs> yeah, that is I, my I, big... I yelled that too quite a bit. <laughs> I have no problem with that part so much. Like, in theory, because, like, I'm all for sex-positive female narratives. Like, that's awesome, and, like, but it's because as she's this, like, super great spy who's, like, top of her class and everyone, like, challenges her all the time. And as soon as she sleeps with her spy master, she becomes kind of a bad spy whenever he's around. Where, yeah. like, all of a sudden she's like, we need to drop this mission and go get a hotel room. Or, like, she can't focus on the job because she's thinking about his butt or whatever. <laughs> or, like, there's one part where they're undercover in the same hotel and she just starts holding his hand in front of someone like some contact that she doesn't even know yet and i'm like no but you're such a good spy stop don't do that <laughs> yeah it wasn't like the sex with the problem it was like the sex with him and like how it was yeah. making her behave that i was yeah. like no <laughs> and okay i don't i don't know if this is frowned upon on this show <laughs> but when we talked <laughs> the sex did you guys think the sex was well written? No. <laughs> oh no, not at all. That whole no. like that okay. whole passage I mean... about how like he stops in the middle to like look at his. I have penis it here. Would you mind if I read Please it out loud? Go ahead. So okay, tell me if this is the most erotic thing you've ever heard. Rom- spoilers, I guess. <laughs> I mean, so. Romare was a robust and uncomplicated lover, except in one particular. At some juncture, while he and Eva were making love, they would... Th- he, sorry. <laughs> it's so, it's he would so withdraw and rock back on his haunches, taking whatever blankets and sheets and bed covers there were with him, and look at Eva lying naked, spread-eagled before him on the bed, and then consider his own glossy tumescence. And then, after a second or two, taking hold of himself, he would position his erect penis and carefully, slowly re-enter her. Eva began to wonder if it were the act of penetration that excited him more than the eventual orgasm. Once, when he had done this a second time to her, she had said, Be careful, I won't wait around forever. So he confined himself, by and large, to one of these contemplative withdrawals a session. Eva had to admit that the maneuver itself was, all things considered, rather pleasurable also on her side of the sexual fence. They had made love that morning fairly swiftly, satisfyingly, and with no interruptions. I don't know about you two, but boy, am I hot and heavy right now. <laughs> it's it's that, like, very, like, British, like, literary way of stating things. And there there were a couple points, yes. like, in the very beginning of the book when, like, she's talking oh about her God. mother's, like, English cottage garden. I, like, stopped myself. I'm listening to the audiobook and I'm like, this is exactly the book that people would expect me to pick. And, like, I didn't think <laughs> about that before I started. And I was like, shit. <laughs> so... So this is this is the last thing because it's very related to this. And then everything else about the book, like I kind of like. But so when I first started, exactly like you said, Tracy, the beginning is especially pedantic where I was like, okay, guy, 
chill your fucking roll because there's a lot of there's a lot of words in these sentences that don't need to be there. And it was the book starts and I don't remember how early this is, but I feel like it's very early where like a valet cuts her off or yes. something and she says that he waves at her histrionically. And I'm like, "Okay, guy, there is a better way to say that." So if I recall, he was an Oxford professor. I think in okay. English before. Um, I'm double checking this right now, but uh, that might at least explain some of it. And I think this book also was a new editor for him. Okay. Excuse me. So he had gotten, I guess, kind of famous over in in the UK. I don't know how famous he was here. Um, and then switched editors. And so there are a couple of reviews that I read that talked about how the editors might have been a little afraid to actually edit him. Kind of like if you read some of the later Harry Potter books, mm-hmm. it's very clear that Joe's editing was less and less. Do you mean mo- yeah. do you mean most series don't progress from like two hundred and fifty pages <laughs> to like eight hundred over time? <laughs> I mean, they do now in the YA world. It's 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 a thing. Ugh. Oh, one one other thing about his writing style. <laughs> this is a this is a minor nitpick, but he did this twice, and maybe it's because I'm like basically a 12 year old boy but <laughs> even before he gets to the sex stuff he uses the phrase like magna cum loud you know like where you put like cum as a modifier in between two other words he uses it twice in like back and back like right back to back and one time he says shed cum garage which is very funny and then the <laughs> other time the other time he says, and I don't know what the second word is, seawall come esplanade. Oh and I'm like, okay, don't know what that is. And I'm like giggling because like, ha, he said come twice. And then he actually talks about a porno called Volcano of Come. <laughs> he does like, talk about Volcano of Come. Guy, you have a fixation. <laughs> no, and, and sort of on that note, there was something about this book that, like, it's one of those things that stick in my memory, because, like, I don't know if apparently, like, I'm also a 12-year-old, or it's just, like, it was so, like, unlike what I normally read, but, like, about, like, four or five times, he has both of them, like, ref- especially Ruth, though, the daughter, like, reflect on how, like, they need to shit when they're given, like, unpleasant news. Yes. And I'm just, like, and every, t- and, like, for some reason, when I think of this book, I I just think of like shit like that's one of the things that comes to mind uh these are the those are two of the other excerpts that i saved to bring up. Oh, that's awesome it's just they're they're very they're very short they're not going to be as long as the other ones but one she is on a spy mission and she is sleeping in the woods and the whole chapter is all about how like you know she's one with nature and she's just another uh you know like another you know creature in the night or whatever and it's the whole book is pretty dramatic and then she's just like she felt unafraid just another night denison trying to rest in the small hours before dawn she woke needing to relieve herself and moved to the riverbank where she lowered her trousers and shitted into the fast water (laughs) and the other one is ruth searching her mother's house and she finds like pieces of a gun she says the shotgun barrels were in a burlap potato sack under the table. She had taken no real care to hide them. Indeed, even the shotgun butt had been more skirts than burned away. I felt a weakness in my gut. Half of me seemed to want to laugh. Half of me felt a powerful urge to shit. <laughs> and the book gets, like, randomly crass. Like, every once in a while, it's just like, oh, this guy's cock is swinging around. And I'm like, whoa, what is happening? So, in regards to Eva's 
uh, shitting in the forest. Apparently. <laughs> does a bear shit in the woods? Well, Ava does. Like... <laughs> Apparently, he actually, like, before writing the scene, um, camped and, like, went through this so so that he could kind of write about it better. So, like... <laughs> yeah, I have... I listened to the, the audiobook because I spend most of my time at work and it was easiest that way. It's narrated by um, Rosamund Pike, a British actress. She's a, She does a really great job. And he, like, speaks about that a little bit. There's, like, a brief interview with him at the end and he's like, yeah, like, I slept rough in the woods, like, his research. Like, it's one of those things you do, like, just because you think you could. And I'm like, whoa, like, rich white bro, like, calm down. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, it is very much a. <laughs> I guess it's true. A boy does shit in the woods. <laughs> so you know he was like, "All right, I've woken up. What did I do first? I took a shit <laughs> in a river. Like <laughs> that is a problem. In the river is a problem. It's just, but I mean, also you don't want to leave DNA. So yeah, it, it... where else are you going to shit? Yeah, she has to bury her toilet paper. That's like another detail that he's like really specific about. Yes. It's yeah. just like one of because that's what I. <laughs> it's just like Sorry, it's one of those things where like you, it, not to be like gender stereotypical, but like it's just not something you run into in books like written by a woman, and that's like no. I guess it's like the bulk of what I read. So like for some reason that's like one of the things that stands out to me about this book is like really frank about the need to shit. Like <laughs> and I don't know why. I, I, I felt like it fit in with his kind of like. And I didn't know that it was a trope that women just shit all the time written by men. That That is news to me. So maybe maybe I'm missing out. But the way I felt like reading this is I felt like it fit in with his, like what I mentioned before, that I felt like his his characters were extremely impulsive, almost to the point that it like was comical to me sometimes. Where like very frequently both her char- both his main characters were like, I all of a sudden felt this urge to do this thing. And, like, sometimes it was poop. Sometimes it was kiss somebody. Sometimes it was, like, immediately leave the room. Like, I just felt like his characters are always, like, impulsive. And I feel like for Ruth it made more sense. But for the spy, I felt like she was doing such calculated things, but, like, immediately. And it was, like, weird to me. Especially because one of the things about Ava in particular is that she is meant to be so thorough and careful because when it comes yeah. to um, the mission they send her on where like her whole thing was that he knew that she would check this map that she's being given to hand off and that ends up being sort of what like dooms her, spoilers, is that he knows that she's so thorough and resourceful that she will always, you know, look at what she's given that it, those two things like don't line up exactly yeah and that that incongruousness between like the strength of eva's character on paper versus on the page were it was jarring to me yeah no definitely she i mean there is a lot of being told what eva is and not necessarily being shown what eva is um which again? But I feel like I feel like she's we're being shown that she's awesome, but but we're being told that she's like less awesome. Oh, I thought there was the other way around. Yeah, yeah. And I think you can always figure that some of that is that it is her writing her own story, so she might not have that okay. like, objective perspective yeah. on like what she was and what she was doing, especially because it's so Very it's true. so many years later. So like we 
don't necessarily know how reliable it is, even though we are we are told that she has been going over the story over a number of years and like you know adding things, crossing things out, like you know refining it. Mm-hmm. And she also does say to Ruth, "Oh, you know, you're a better writer than I am. You could like patch it up, basically." So, like, maybe we're getting the story after, like, Ruth has gone through it because there is her, like, presenting the story to an academic. Like, maybe you want this. So we don't really know what we're getting necessarily. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a good point. That. That's yeah, really that's sort of, like, left ambiguous at the end. So hmm. Yeah. What did you guys think of the spy training? There's, like, a spy training montage. <laughs> I liked it a lot. I thought the so I thought the spy stuff overall was easily my favorite part of the book. Mm-hmm. I actually think most of Ruth's parts are like completely useless. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about Ruth like in detail in a few yeah, minutes. Definitely. Like let's get through so, Eva first because Yeah. I got lots of thoughts and things to say about Ruth. Yeah, so um, I thought the spy montage stuff was like really cool and even the way like it build it built in the narrative that everything was manipulative so quickly because like she's allowed certain lessons but not others because her spy master wants her good at this but like not skilled at fighting and like I thought that stuff was really interesting. Yeah, and I was really surprised because he says in the the interview that he gave at the end of the audiobook that he just like made a lot of that up. Like, he doesn't really know, like, what they actually do for spy training, and I'm sure it's not like they're going to put that out there publicly, but he just, like, thought about, like, what skills would you need, and, like, how could you do that, and it's really interesting because he does, like, a lot of things, like, they play, like, a child's memory game where they put out, like, a hundred items, and she's, Mm -hmm. like, able to recall, like, 80 of them eventually, or he teaches her to memorize, like, long sequences of numbers by, like, associating them with colors, and, like, he puts a lot of care into describing that, and I just thought that was you know really interesting it's it almost makes you wish like he spent like a little bit more time on that part of the story because it's definitely like the most interesting but i think once it but this actual like spy missions and stuff too i think are really interesting especially when she ends up like on the run and you see the number of things that she has to do in order to cover up her tracks or you know forge a different identity and things like that right yeah and any time she has to lose a tail is probably my favorite part of the book. Yes. Like, just the way they he writes that is just really, like, it is pretty exciting. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the part where she's still in training, I think, and she loses five or six people. Mm-hmm. She doesn't lose, um, is it Roma? Romer, yeah. 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 She doesn't lose him, but she loses everybody else. Yeah. Um, I really liked that scene, uh, partially because, like, I love the idea of just trying to tail someone in New York. And just, like, seeing how long it would take people and then also being like, oh, God, do people think I'm, like, trying to spy on them or, like, tail them? Uh, As I was thinking while I was in Staples today, trying to look for a notebook and kept getting weird looks. So. And the way she describes the tailing sometimes is, like, she'll intentionally make trips where, like, nobody would ever have to do this. So, like, you know, like, you'll go backwards and then forwards like in a way that like it's if somebody was lost or like had a connecting train or something like there's no possible rational reason for it so if she sees somebody more than twice like she knows they're tailing her and like he put a lot of detail into that stuff and that was definitely my favorite part um so she gets through her training then there is the whole blow up i guess i'm trying to remember where it was it's still while they're in england is it the netherlands 
Um, there is yes, I yeah, Belgium. So. There's a lot yeah. of places. Yeah, in this it's book. called There's Russia, England. Yeah, it's um, there it's called everything between. It's called Prenslow. I think it is in Belgium, and that's um when she sees someone get shot, and you know, and that yes. yeah, and they say later on in the the seventies, she asks um Ruth asks this uh her thesis advisor, you know um no uh not her thesis advisor Tom's the uh academic she goes through who knows a lot about spy stuff during World War Two. She asks him mm-hmm. like, do you know about the Prenslow incident? He's like, oh yeah, like it blew everything wide open. You know, it's like really you know documented really well so that was something that later on becomes like an actual thing mm-hmm. um yeah and it's kind of a turning point for her they think she dies um they ended up putting her in a room and like interviewing her and all this stuff and because she did her job so well and didn't die they end up sending them to america uh to basically try to manipulate americans and to joining the war through fake news <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like I I sent you guys a message, but I'm at work at like 4 a.m. and like I for some reason like thinking about the book, just like the fact that it was partly about like media manipulation had like slipped past me in like the three years since I had read it. So I'm re-listening to it, and I was like, shit, this book is about fake news, and I was like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't know anything about World War Two and and spies and things like that. Is this a real thing? Is this based on a real concept? I wasn't able to find a lot of information about it, but I was looking at some of the critical reviews on Amazon, and they said that there were recently declassified documents at the time that he was writing this book, so, like, early 2000s, and it apparently was based on an actual, like, movement during World War II, that they did, they really did do this to a degree. So there, I, I would have to look into it. There, there were a lot of sort of, like, declassifications that went on like they mention in the book in the 70s plotline that there was the declassification of what went on at Bletchley Park and that started mm-hmm. becoming a little bit more known in the past couple years with that series I mentioned the Bletchley Circle and then the movie The Imitation Game about Alan Turing so the, it's sort of these things that like have become more well known as they're able to release like documents especially now with the internet it's a lot easier to release things and be like oh mm-hmm. this happened back then so I definitely have to look into more what he was actually based it on but apparently the british manipulating the media to that degree was fairly accurate so i mean it, cool. it at least made a lot of sense yeah like yeah. they were not winning this war at the time i mean it was going to be a very long haul yeah they were going and to, they so. they wanted yeah. america and especially when yeah. you know it comes to the point where he says like he says it later on in the 70s like pearl harbor really like fucked everything up because they were like <laughs> they were like so close to getting america and then it's yes. just like surprise pearl harbor so yeah and the way they do the fake news stuff is so interesting because i've re- this is I know I just said it about a different part, but this is also one of my favorite parts of the book <laughs> because they, it's not just like they pr- publish an, an article that's like, LOL, Hitler hates America or whatever. Like not they our do fake these... news today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> they do these weird, like subtle stories where they'll be like in Belgium and publish in some small paper, just that like some tourist ship was, turned away because of a landmine and that because of that it forces german ships to go around there because like the german spies will see that article and then 
think there's landmines there, so they'll go a different path and then, like, run into an American ship and blow them up or, like, whatever. You know, I might be losing the specifics there. But, like, something like that just to get the... So, like, the fake news is just the catalyst for a real story to convince the Americans to come. Right. And then it starts to, like, snowball more where they're, like, leaving fake German maps to be found that will, like, make the Americans think that Germany has plans for South America. And, like, it's just more subtle than, like, Germans gonna strike here. And I thought that was really cool. And it's also, like, a lot of, um, there's a point where they say, like, oh, 11 American sailors, you know, were killed, like, when this ship was sunk, when they're really starting to, like, sort of raise the stakes of the stories they're printing so it would be to Americans like well don't you care that like 11 American sailors died like yeah. don't you want to yeah, where's the magic number yeah like don't you want to help us in this war so they they're really specific about what they print on again unlike today when you can put whatever you want on the internet and it yes. it also like it struck me too it's one of those stories where it strikes you how much of it depends on their like not being the internet and not being able to you know fact check so yeah. thoroughly because that's definitely well now you can get away with it today but you know that it's just the fact that they're able to be like oh 11 people died and like nobody follows up on that and all the wire services pick it up like oh i guess 11 people died you know so yeah and another thing that really rang for today with me that was a little on the nose while i was reading it and this is no fault of the writer he couldn't have seen this coming but seeing a story where the america first party is trying to convince people not to fight nazis i was like ah, what a world yeah. what a world we live in now where it's the same um so this her story kind of comes to a climax where she goes to new mexico to mm-hmm. pick up something supposed to give a package and nearly gets killed and believes that there is a double agent in her group. And I'm sorry, like, as much as I think I am a brilliant person, I am no good at solving things like this. And so I had to read some of this multiple times because it was like, and I'm so sure it's X. And I'm like, why? Where did we come from for this? And so it ends up that Roma is the double agent, um, which she realizes when another guy commits suicide commits suicide um, air quotes yeah well so, yes yeah. air quotes um because he figured it out and so thus was killed um i still haven't quite grasped like it's one of those things where i'm like i theoretically understand why or how they both figured out it was him and then i think harder about it i'm like nope it fell apart <laughs> so uh at least for the guy that committed suicide for her it's a little bit more thoroughly explained yeah and she can um, sort of you know i you're you're sort of meant to get the sense that she is able to understand it a little bit more because like that's where she sort of like almost had to be sexually involved with him because she gets to know him she thinks fairly well and they sort of have that understanding of each other from all the time that they spend you know one-on-one mostly having sex with each other but you know because they have that understanding of each other that's where she's able to be so certain that yes he's the one that gave me up so so what is the constant pulling out <laughs> in, his, in his characterization? I don't know. I do have to say, so he is cast... Oh, I can't remember who he's played by in the miniseries. Uh, but it's a guy... Rufus Sewell. He's a, a yes. British actor. Yeah. Yeah. I think and you he's... mean Sewell come Esplanade or whatever? 
he's almost always played a bad guy, at least in things I've seen. But I was so convinced that I had figured out what was happening in this book that I was like, cool, he actually gets to play a good guy this time. <laughs> and this is going to be great. And then as soon as she's like, this is who double crossed me, I was like, shit. I was texting my best friend the whole time. There's that, that gif from Sense8 that became a meme where one of them is screaming and he's like, I see you, villain. And I was like, that was me like reading this stupid book the whole time, like now knowing that he was going to give her up. I was like, I hate you. <laughs> so- see. I felt that Boyd made a huge mistake that gave this away right away. Because one of the first things she says to him is, never trust anyone, even me. And I'm like, of course he's the fucking bad guy, because that's what they always say. I've seen this a hundred million times. And then when she sleeps with him, I'm like, there's no... Of course he's the bad guy. So, And the mystery... Looking at the mystery, if I was, like, from a non-meta sense, like, if I didn't understand story structure and know that that always happened... I don't think I would have been able to figure it out. Like, I definitely would have been on your side, Megan. Thanks. Are you claiming that I don't understand story structure here? No, no, no. That's not what I mean. (laughs) I'm saying, like, you're trying to analyze it from a mystery perspective. And, like, I I don't think the mystery is written in a way that you can figure it out. Yeah, my problem came from trying to figure out why Ruth's storyline was important. And so I became convinced that somewhere down the line, Ruth was going to turn on her mother and there was going to be a scene oh. of like oh i am an unreliable narrator and this is why it's been in third person and i've been a spy this whole time and now we're having a mother-daughter standoff uh, i was I think convinced that this was happening <laughs> and it was such a letdown when it does it it's such a letdown that, yeah that would have been so good <laughs> who says you don't understand story stories <laughs> And I, I thought it was it was yeah. interesting because in the interview that Boyd gives at the end of the audiobook, he says that in particular, like, when he knew he wanted to tell a spy story, he then said to himself, okay, I want to tell a story where it's a parent and, you know, um, and a child finding out that their parent, like, isn't who they say they are. And then he said to himself, okay, I can do, you know, a, fa- um, a father-son story. And he's like, no, that's been done before. And he wanted to do, like, a mother-daughter story. So he did, like, sort of play on, like, one trope and sort of, like, do what you wouldn't expect. He made it a mother-daughter story. But, yeah, I agree with you, Ryan, that, like, as soon as I reached the, like, never trust anyone scene, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot that this book has, like, moments where it just, like, leans so hard into the cliche. Like, it doesn't even try to subvert it. It's just like, yes, I'm doing this thing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) See, I was like, oh, you're just that much of an asshole. (laughs) Maybe you're going away soon because she does not speak highly of him in the beginning. Like, he is not described as looking attractive. He is pompous. He's just an arrogant European asshole. That's and... that's why I have so much trouble with them sleeping together at all because she's, she's nice. not yes. like she is not yes. kind to him at all when like the book first Ooh. starts and like so all of a sudden when it's like she really wanted to kiss him I'm like why? Yeah. That's when she explicitly says it's not even about him. It's literally any man will will do and I'm like okay. Yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, yeah, no, by that point, when she makes that comment, I was like, no, you have a crush, and you are denying it. Like, that's how I took that. Oh, uh, okay. That makes yeah. sense. Unreliable narrator, I guess. <laughs> she's she's super postmodern inside this book. But, yeah, I... But just to, to, cl- like, to clarify, like, it's... I don't think the mystery itself is written in a way that you can figure it out ahead of her. 
because it's it's only Romare or Romer or whatever because it can't be anybody else. Like it's that real like Sherlock Holmes, yeah. Occam Razor kind of thing. And like so, I don't think you're supposed to suspect him from the clues you're given until you know, like everyone else is dead or you know, like right absolved of their sin for whatever reason. And especially because in the the what I'll call the present day storyline, even though it's set in the seventies, especially because at the end, like I forgot that once like everything is over, that there's just like this like big like info dump of like what was happening at the time that like now they know because she's seen that scholar that knows about World War Two. And then it's like, oh, and he must have been like a Russian double agent and it just like goes yeah. on for like several paragraphs just like explaining all this yeah. stuff that you couldn't know. And I was like, wow, I forgot that this really because I, I remember like I was getting to the ending and I was like, why is there so much time left in this audio? book and i'm like oh because now we're going to get this big info dump about all the stuff we couldn't have known so and i'm sitting here yeah. like yes this is the point that daughter's going to turn daughter is going yeah. to turn and it's like info dump and i was like nope nope this is so heartbreaking yeah i thought either the daughter was gonna turn or i th- uh, i because that would have been awesome but i all, i kind of felt like the mom was gonna die before the story was over and she was gonna have to like confront Romer and oh, that would have been good too. Figure out the pieces. I don't know, but none of those things happened. <laughs> no, it, it's like again, I really enjoyed this book, but it's like William Boyd. When I have an idea, I have no idea how to end this yeah. because the actual climax of um, so Eva ends up running away through Canada, gets back to England. Um, which is a, a long period of time, and there is some detail in there, but none of it's really important. Finds out everybody else has been killed, and then basically, like, sits at a bar to find a guy to marry, and then become who she is now. And then she looks at the camera and she says, and that's how I met your father. <laughs> and be- exactly. <laughs> and Josh Radner um, doesn't become Bob Saget, because I know that that, like, disappointed people, but... <laughs> That actually, I like, okay, so her whole end part, I didn't like that she only got by because her boss had a crush on her and helped her yeah, move Yeah, down. I did not like that at all. But I do really like that she meets Ruth's father just, like, randomly, like, he's just some guy, and Ruth even asks, like, early in the book, like, did dad know any of this stuff? And she goes, no, like, he died thinking I was just Sally, Gilmartin. whatever her name was. Yeah, Sa- Sally Gilmartin. And, like, I kind of really like that Ruth is getting brought into this world that, like, literally no one else is privy to. Right. And, like, I thought that that was a nice touch. And especially when you add at the end, like, when she really starts thinking and, like, realizing that her mother was sort of, like, almost, like, running her the whole time. And, like, Mm -hmm. she even thinks to herself, like, was she hoping that, like, she would have a son that she could use to, like, draw into this confrontation, you know, that, and, you know, so she sort of realizes that her whole life, like, maybe she was being primed for her mother to one day be like, oh, this is my story, like, I need your help with this. So it's sort of like, you know, she positioned herself to get married to this guy so that she would, you know, be able to have just, like, an ironclad change of identity, and then even when she has a kid, it's all about, like, it's, like, you don't want to think of her as this, like, Machiavelli in person like she did what she had to to survive but at the same time it's like she really manipulates the people closest to her in order to achieve yeah. achieve her own 
But she's yeah, still... and that parallelism worked really well for me because she at the beginning of the book opens with her like Eva's brother dying and he was a spy so she basically like fills his seat and like picks up his legacy or whatever and like seeing Ruth be like am I just another one of those was like I thought pretty engaging my big problem with Ruth's story is that there is next to no emotion in it and the emotion yes. that they try to put into it like the fact that she and her mother didn't get along until they were very clearly maybe the last few years um, mm-hmm. and and primarily because she's relying on her mom to help her with her son and like I guess that's why I kept being like and so thus she turned on her because <laughs> there has to be some payoff to this if you're going to yeah. keep telling me how your relationship's not great but also have no emotional investment or shock or I don't know like I kept thinking like if my mother turned to me and was like hey I was a spy and here's all the proof I'm not going to be like, cool. Yeah. This is cool. I think, like, a lot of it spoke yeah. to, like, the stiff upper lip, like, British mentality. Because there's a couple of times where Ruth is with Yakin, her son, and he'll just, like, do something, like, really cute or, like, funny. And she'll be, like, or he, he just, like, puts his chin on her shoulder at one point, And she just has, like, <laughs> she literally says it's, like, this annoying urge to cry. Like, and she thinks that, like, several times. Like, every time she's about to have any emotional response, she's like, ugh, here we go. So, like, <laughs> it's just, like, this very British, like, they don't care to show any sort of emotion and it's just like it's it's there in like mm-hmm. her whole story so damn British and their no emotions I totally <laughs> why oh, sorry. no you're fine <laughs> why is Ruth in this book what does she do like for the plot that that Eva can't do herself because all I can think of is that she tracks down where Ro- where Romer is but like you're gonna tell me Eva can't figure that out? Like I think I she think could. she doesn't want to risk doing it herself because when he sees her in when Romer sees her in the present day, he does recognize her almost immediately. Yeah. But she tails him to his house after the meeting with his daughter. After but meeting, she needed like, she needed she... to send Ruth to even get that address. So like it's like you saying she doesn't really have much of a purpose besides actually going there but you there's also Ruth's university connections and that she's able to meet with the academics that are able to you know get her this information because again pre-internet you know you needed people that could look this sort of stuff up for you but yeah I mean that really is her one purpose in the story but I mean yeah and like that to me like Eva's so more than capable to just do that that like her relying on Ruth who has like no training whatsoever just like knows a guy that again the first time she meets him she's wearing a dress because she burned herself and they explicitly say how much he was sta- trying not to stare at her breasts and i'm like thanks <laughs> that's her again. that was her advisor wasn't it yeah it wasn't the first yeah. time yeah. so yeah yeah but, th- but that yes, was her no, advisor like, that you know got the whole ball rolling yeah or whatever i mean there's a lot that happens in ruth's storyline that doesn't pay off to the yeah. point where i'm like there has to be a missing storyline that just got cut at some point because ruth is a single mom she never married her son's father who is german Mm -hmm. and then his brother randomly shows up who may have some kind of not great ties i can't remember exactly what ties it was and then it's dropped yeah it was the red army faction yes yeah kind of this like whole thing yeah and then like a friend of his shows up who's 
then being hunted by the police and it's like no payoff. I think there is, I mean, there yeah. is like the parallelism there because there's the fact that Ruth works with foreign students and then it becomes like this whole thing where the, between the, um, the girl that Ludger knows that's being hunted and then her student Hamid, she becomes like very suspicious of everyone and she ends up like really embarrassing herself in front of Hamid where she's yeah. like, oh, like if you know anybody in Savak, like you can tell me it's totally fine. <laughs> like I'm working with the cops. Like, so she, it's, like, it was kind of, like, a really clunky way of showing, like, her mother's story is affecting her, because, like, all of a sudden she becomes, like, suspicious of all, like, these foreign people that she works with. So, it, you know, and, and, but, like, there were probably ways that could have been better done than outright being, like, yeah. oh, I have an Iranian student, and all of a sudden I'm, like, bro, <laughs> are you a traitor? Like, you can tell me. So. Yes, but yeah. this was done in 2006. Like... So... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's this underlying narrative throughout that, like, it's the early, early days of, like, the Iranian revolution's about to start, and there's also, like, it's the peak of the Cold War, and they, like, suspect all these people, and she keeps having these people show up, like you said, that, like, are suspected of this and that, but then, like, ev the, at by the end, everyone's just like, oh, uh, the friend is just, like, she was, like, a beggar and, like, yelled at somebody once, so, like, we don't want her in Oxford, like... There's just these little, it's just like, oh, don't worry. There was never really any point for this. I do like the idea that you're saying of like, it is showing how Ruth is getting paranoid. Yeah. But I was so convinced she was a German spy. Like she, had, <laughs> she had defected or something. Like, I, no, the story in my mind is so much Like, better. plot twist, her like five-year-old son is like the spy. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. a sleeper agent. Exactly. He's just waiting. Oh, I think when they're that young, they call them <laughs> napper agents. <laughs> yeah, I just, there's not much payoff in Ruth's story. And most reviews that I, I looked at, like, nobody seems to really like yeah. Ruth. There, there were parts where I, I really liked her, especially when she they're taking her son to like the protest. I thought that was like really cute. Like they give her son, really they cute. give her son like an egg to throw, and she's like, I thought it might be good for like Yock and Gil Martin to throw an egg, and she's like recognizing that they have like this really like stuffy existence, and she's like, Yeah, let them protest. Like, so it's just like I think like I thought that was really cute, but yeah, there's a lot of points that like don't really add that much. Yeah, I do like she's. She's played by I, I uh, Mich Michelle names, but Michelle Dockery. Yes, Mary from Downton Abbey, and I was like, "You're badass." I hope you're a spy. <laughs> Which I think she does actually play one in a show currently. So, uh, good behavior. She's a con artist. Yeah. Oh, is that what she yeah. is? Okay, I don't actually watch it. It's real. It's really so. good. You should watch it. Is it yeah. okay? I don't need another Ran show, but I will random, add another show. Random unrelated <laughs> plug. Sorry, random people listening. <laughs> no. Oh, God, are you kidding? This has, like, been the least amount of plugs on the show. You're fine. I was about to go on a rant on how I've not actually watched Downton Abbey since um, I, I, got, I didn't get past Matthew. I was going to say I know the spoiler that you're about to say. <laughs> no, I, I figured you did, yeah. but I was like, has it been long enough that I could give this spoiler? The show's over. Yeah, I think I could talk about the spoiler because it happens in like season three. Yeah, so of, like of six. Because I'm I'm yeah. the sucker that watched all of it to the bitter end. I tried. <laughs> so. I tried, but I was just like, no. I was so invested in Mary and Matthew. No. There were other ways you could torment them without just killing someone when they're on their way to see their son. Oh my god. <laughs> 
still angry. It's been too many. I years. think we're losing Ryan. How do you not watch? Okay. Anyways, I mean, all I know is that it's the show that everyone mocks for being like the most British thing. Ever. <laughs> oh, it is. It is the most British thing ever. <laughs> it opens up after Titanic sank. It is the perfect time to watch it. <laughs> well, now I know that it has six seasons. Thanks for the spoilers, guys. Okay, but it's also a British show, so it's not one of those twenty-two episode things. Oh. Which can we stop that, America? Okay. Yes, please. And so I'm like trying to. Get, I did get through the last season of Supergirl finally, so. But um. I've now completely, completely lost it. Um, any other thoughts talk- on the daughter's okay, story? I- I have a question. Yes. How did you like how her son was written? His dialogue? I thought he was kind of cute, but then I... There were times where, like, it struck me that, like, I was listening to the audiobook, so, like, that always sort of makes, like, dialogue come off a little differently than if I was just reading it on Mm -hmm. the page. And I think Rosamund Pike is a really great narrator. I recommend if anyone reads the book in print, the audiobook is also worth listening to. But, like, that's the thing is, like, I feel like my impression is sort of colored by the fact that I was reading the audiobook. So I I guess, Megan, how did you feel? I, I mean, I was really indifferent to it. Like, I could not tell you one thing he said other than the very traditional i mean he reminded me of if my brother was in the car and like why are we doing this why are we going back we were just there like i don't know it 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 rang true enough to me of like yeah i've had a little kid a little boy especially in a car and this is how annoying they are so every once in a while he would say something that i was like i don't think a little kid (laughs) would say that but for the most part like i i definitely agree with you guys that for the most part it was he was kind of just there to i think like flesh out Ruth a little bit and because she was so like cold and calculated and like stoic having him be just like let's do a funny thing like every once in a while yeah. even if she doesn't do it it just broke it up a lot yeah um what did you think of the not brother-in-law brother-in-law and girlfriend <laughs> Lidger. um he's he's just like he's there for comic relief like one of the other random things i remembered about the one of the other random things i remembered about the book is when like she's telling him that he can't walk around naked and he's like i promise yes. no more naked like it's just like it's so like dumb that he's just but he's like i've been in porno this is fine yeah. and i was like okay <laughs> yeah that is so he gives this reveal she goes to go into her apartment and they describe him as standing there swinging his cock around in front of the child, which I was like, okay, that's a thing that is in this book, I guess. And then the chapter ends with him being like, what? I was in porno. And I was like, is that a, is that a cliffhanger? That you're like, what, is that how this is structured? See, and I was sitting here like, this is a spy with a really shitty cover up. <laughs> This is this is how it is. <laughs> like I cannot... So much of it makes sense that way. Like, Ruth's story is so much better. It makes so much more sense if you think of her the whole time as just being a spy. It's it's really funny that you say that because of her being played by Michelle Dockery in the miniseries. Because at the last couple seasons of Downton Abbey, they had this like long stretched out part about like this guy getting murdered that just went nowhere for the longest time. And I was like so bored with it that eventually I was like, you know what, fuck it. Like Lady Mary is the murderer, and I will die on this hill. And it just like became this like thing. When I was watching with my friend, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Lady Mary is the murderer, and this is why it makes sense. And it's like, and now I'm just gonna make this book like the extent 
mention of my Lady Mary as a murderer theory. <laughs> there you go. There you go. She was reincarnated into a spy who was chasing after her mother. There we go. <laughs> Although, I... No, yeah, we can go with that, because Lady Mary would probably be dead by that point. So, what did you think about the her house guests? I, like, honestly... I was fine with everything, and now looking back on it, look, listening to Ruth's story, looking at it, and I'm just like, why were they there other than, why did she keep them there? Is that a very British thing as, like, we don't want to actually kick people yeah, out? Yeah, just avoiding the confrontation, like, especially because she, like, makes up this whole story, like, oh, I have to talk to my landlord and, like, see if yes. you can stay, and then she goes down to the landlord, she's like, oh, are you chill if I add some patio furniture? Bye! Like, she doesn't, like, actually intend to have any discussion, she just wants to make it look like she does. So it's just, like, very much this avoiding, like, any uncomfortable situation. <laughs> and then Unless... She Unless Megan's right, and they're all spies, and there, and patio furniture is code, is code for undercover agents because she has so these people better, that are right? yeah, she has these people that are suspected of being like radicals, like anarchist radicals, and she's like, mind if I set up some patio furniture? And he's like, go right ahead. And they did make a point in this book of having like the plain code that like you know just make it like really obvious what you're talking about, like without actually talking about it. So now like patio furniture is like communist meetings. <laughs> and like, yeah. her landlord was also in the war. I can't remember what exactly he did because I just remember that like he is super always happy because he is actually I think he got like he got into it and then like really soon after was just like like after like 12 days was like a POW and then just like yeah. had like yeah. this like really shitty experience so he's just like totally like letting everything roll off his back. So So yeah, like yeah. check he's the spy leader. It's all good. Because who is happy as a dentist? <laughs> I mean, they do have the highest suicide rate, but okay, oh. sure. I think, Megan, I think you wrote this book better than you <laughs> I mean, like, spy, especially teenage spies or, like, women in their 20s that are spies, like, you can pretty much recommend any book and I will read that shit. And maybe this is where it's coming from is, like, there had to be some twist because there's always a twist and someone's always a spy that you didn't realize that like i was like cool i found it it's the daughter we, we need restless to electric boogaloo like right now with like where like all of this comes to fruition <laughs> oh i mean i feel like there should be a second book because the mom was still being paranoid at the end yeah um, yeah it that was so weird to me because it ends. She's like, I think someone's trying to kill me. And then it's like, and there she stood waiting forever. And, I was like, and then there's also like, she gave them Ruth's like real name. So then she becomes like really paranoid. Like I, you went to meet him under your real name. Like they know who you are and like, they'll be able to find out where you live. And like, I get why it was there. Like she's never going to be able to let her guard down like ever, but like, it just sort of, like, lingers on that cliffhanger. Like, oh, people know where you live and they might try to kill you. Or, like, he may have written something down that, you know, to be enacted after he, like, does his little action. And, like, it just hangs there and it just never gets resolved. So Yeah, I yeah. felt like there was always a bigger punch coming at the end than there actually was. Because her mom goes to kill Roma and doesn't. And then is like... I've made a grave error. Or like, okay, what'd she do? 
what's gonna happen and it's like he's going to kill himself it's like okay well yeah that makes sense like what's the grave error and it's like and and he's going to kill himself and i'm like i don't i don't like i feel like i was ruth half the time because mom's like she's like my mom was looking at me like i was an idiot and i was like yep nope i feel you here because like (laughs) what are we trying to say yeah and i so. Maybe she, like, didn't make enough tuna sandwiches <laughs> or something. And it was, like, another, like, very British thing that, like, she goes to see Romer and it's just, like, uh, and she, like, threatens him with this shotgun that we later find out, like, wasn't even loaded. And it's, like, I just wanted him to know that, like, I had the power, but, like, she doesn't actually kill him or do anything. It's just another, like, I just wanted to, like, make this confrontation look like a confrontation and now I'm gonna go, like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so The shotgun actually upset me a little bit. It's not British at all. <laughs> In my mind. Like, that is not British. I know they had shotguns, and I know they did hunts and things, but, like, that is not what you confront. Especially a sawed-off shotgun. Pulling a shot-off, sawed-off shotgun out of, like, a cottage is, is like, that's our thing. <laughs> that's what Americans do. <laughs> it's a very do. American thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and the, I know you mentioned it earlier, that when you read it, like, the whole second half, like, flew by. And I felt the ending was such a shame, too, because I was enjoying the second half a lot more than the first mm-hmm. half. And then it just like stops. <laughs> yeah, there there is really no climax to this other than like they found him, they talked, he threatened to sue her and then arrest her, and that was it. Well, then I mean, then he. he <laughs> I mean, yes, he dies, and like, and then we found out that he was a Russian spy, and it was because like. The most stupid reason is because, like, you kind of forget that sometimes when you love something, you can also hate yeah, it. Yeah, because, like, you don't even know why he was a Russian spy. Like, that's also just left out there. Like, oh, he was definitely a Russian spy, but, like, why? I don't know. Like, you know, like, and he's not going to yeah. give, like, some grand monologue where he explains it. He's just, like, it's just there. You just know that he was at some point. <laughs> they say people but- defect for three reasons. Blackmail revenge and i can't remember money money Money. yeah so it must have been money i guess but they They, say revenge because he like hates. yeah that's right it's revenge because he hates yeah and he that makes he progresses upwards in their class system and he's able to like be in his like snooty club with his like freaking mansion and like he's able to like sort of look at everybody and laugh because he like achieved you know the top of british society so yeah, but it, I hate you, and I have overcome you. But you have. Yeah, but like you're enjoying the benefits yeah. because you're a white guy. Like that's just, like yes. that's just the way it works. So it was. Yeah, it yeah. it does kind of fall apart at the end because it's just a mess of like not knowing anybody's motives and just like. But I, I'm usually like one that will look at the theme as a whole and like. If that was, if I felt it was intentional from the writer that like there's mysteries left unsolved because that's the world of spying, like that would be awesome. But I didn't feel that it was on purpose. Like if they just didn't do that info dump and he just died and Sally was like to Ruth, like, oh, we just don't get to know because like you have to be okay with not knowing. Otherwise you can't be in the spy world. Like that would have been like, I think that, (laughs) yeah, I think like that would have been better because I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to feel unfulfilled. That's what you're going for. But when you just exposition dump and then you're like, but why? Uh, Bye. See you later. Here's the (laughs) epilogue. It's a lot more fun to have a discussion of like, 
let's try to figure out why we think he he became he turned on his country or anything like that rather than like why did he do it again and like because he hates his country okay. and like again you don't have the information to know why he did it because you don't know about his past like that's when we would need like before Restless and not like Restless 2 but like we would need to know like if I even was like remotely compelled to learn about him as a character which I'm not because he's a dick but like you would just like like, you would just need more information than you're really given to like even begin to start figuring out why he really betrayed his country so did he go to private school, or was there, or am I making that up? Like, and maybe, or maybe it was college or something. I, I feel like there was a comment of like, no, there was. I think something. it was university because there was this whole um, in the seventies in British. There was also the the Cambridge spies, where um, that oh, was yeah. that was like something that came out about World War Two that there had just been like a spy ring run out of Cambridge. So I think it was meant to sort of be like in that vein that he had also like been in university and been like spying for another country. So, which U.S. university has a spy? <laughs> which one is turning out spies? I'm now so, curious. So, Megan, it. every every idea you've had has made this book <laughs> immensely better. So, what I want to ask you: What do you think his motivation is? Why oh. did? Why is he a Russian spy? What happened to him? I mean, I assumed he was actually Russian at some point. And, like, that I had totally missed the the comment or something of, like, that he had a Russian background or, or something like that. Or, or I don't know. I, I Something along the lines of, like, Russia is motherland. So is he, like, Ava's, like, he's, like, Batman oh, and God, Ava's, like, Batgirl? Like, this is, like, a oh, weird, God, like... I thought you were going to be, like, <laughs> No, like, is this, like, a weird, like, <laughs> counterpart situation where, like, Ava is suddenly, like, the lesser of, like, the real, like, ultimate Russian spy? Like... <laughs> well, it would have... To me, because... She gives up her Russian background so... She sheds it so easily. Is she half Russian? Is she half British? Yes, okay. she's half Russian, and yeah, I couldn't I remember if British. she was half Russian or if Ruth was half Russian. So no, Ruth Ru- says, "Hey, I'm half Russian," and she goes, "No, you're a quarter okay. Russian. Your grandma was English." No, her, her grandma. I thought he's her, she wouldn't have been half English because it becomes this whole thing where she gets the perk for her in signing up to be a spy is that she gets to be a British citizen with a British passport. So that's not that's oh, not okay. something that was attainable for them otherwise. So I think her mother was maybe... So mother was probably French? French or German because that's French was one of the languages that she knew. So, yeah. Okay. okay. Um, but she sheds that background. I, I mean, if there had been like more about her brother dying and this is why she is so easily ready to give up her Russian background despite the fact that he was also apparently a British spy I guess then like I I don't know I expected him to also be Russian and that this was some kind of like infiltration thing but it wasn't I don't know I also didn't expect it to be him so it's kind of hard for me to be like and this is why because there's also Mr. X I think was the only other person that we could have suspected. Yeah, but like... But he also has, like, no plot. If you're gonna give us a character we've never seen (laughs) and don't know his name, if that's your twist, like, come on. Stop writing. (laughs) But they do set set him up as, like, the red herring. They're like, I bet it's Mr. X. And I'm like, if it is or not, it doesn't affect (laughs) me That guy that was in, like, one scene behind a table and had, like, three lines of dialogue. (laughs) Was he also 
a double spy? Because it's not. I, I had the impression that it was more than just Roma. There was an there was a double spy trying huh. to prevent this, but maybe that's just again me creating things. Yeah, I think it is. Okay. Yeah. I did want to say though, how did you guys feel about Ava having to sleep with someone to carry off the the mission beforehand? Because before the the map thing happens that leads into Pearl Harbor, they have this sort of complicated plan for her to get close to this guy and seduce him so that they can have a guy really close to Roosevelt and they've like never mm-hmm. gotten this close before. So she ends up having to sleep with this like sort of like sad sack of a stereotypical guy. So <laughs> how did you guys feel about that? I personally saw it coming. As soon as they were talking about how beautiful she was, I was like, okay, so at some point she's going to have to like use her beauty to seduce and sleep with someone. Um, And then when she started having the affair, I was like, okay, it's going to be a complication there. So it was kind of, it was one of the few things I was like, I see this coming. So. I didn't really see it coming. And like everything you said, like I probably should have. (laughs) I mean, I didn't see most of this book coming. Let me have my one thing. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I would have had, less of I think I I don't think I would have had a problem with it if not for one detail because in general like her having to like she's a spy and they say like spies have to do anything to do the mission like you basically have to leave your emotions behind and like check your mind at the door and like do what needs to be done and like I get that and like sleeping with someone is it's a cliched trope for a reason because that is like such a detachment from the physical that you have to have to be able to do that. But my problem with it is she's so hesitant to do it because, and she keeps thinking that my problem is not that she's hesitating to do it at all. <laughs> my problem is that throughout her hesitation, she keeps saying like, I can't believe Romer wants me to do this. And like, what is he going to think that I'm with this guy? And like, that shouldn't be her pause. Her pause should be, should I give my body in service? Of yeah. My that's part of why, like the love affair between them, like, sort of has to be there so they know each other so well but like also really weakens her character because it just becomes like oh my god like what is the guy gonna think rather than yeah like what you were saying like it would be a lot stronger if her thing would be like should I compromise like my personal ethics like in service of my country or no so yeah and especially because so many times they introduce a male character and they're like ogling our female protagonists or like yeah or hitting on them that i'm like in a microcosm this would be fine but in the bigger picture i'm just like i get it you're another one of these guys writing women like this i'm so desensitized because i just that one of the chapters we read of handbook for mortals recently was literally like an entire chapter dedicated to the main character walks by and every guy stops what they're doing to look at her and if it's not that bad, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, it can yeah. be ugly. It's not that bad. <laughs> so. yeah. I think the there were times where, like, that 
worked for me. Like, I love the scene in the beginning when Ryan was saying, like, he's waving at her, like, histrionically when she's trying to um, get through, like, a really narrow space with her car. And this guy is, like, being like, come on, sweetheart. Like, you know, you can make it. And she just, like, tells him to yeah. fuck off. Like, I lo- like I love that scene. And her son's like, why did you tell him to fuck off? And she's like, he was being patronizing. Like, he was being a dick. Yeah. Like, I thought, like, that works really well. But, yeah, when you get, like, later in the book Definitely. and it's like, and everyone stared at her boobs. It's like, okay. Like, we get it. So See, I was convinced, okay, outside of the daughter being a double agent or turning on her mom or whatever, I was convinced that, like, something happened, Eva had to go on the run, and so thus, her and Roma were going to have this big romantic get back together. And it was like, oh, you're both widows. Oh, this is going to be so great. So, like, knowing that or thinking that it was just some kind of, like, spy love story, I could kind of glaze over some of this. Okay. But, uh, yeah, knowing, knowing that he's the double agent makes it so much worse. Yeah. Because then he's, like, really emotionally manipulating her the entire time. Because he's setting her up to die. So, like, his sleeping with her, like, they, even he says, like, I broke my first rule. And, like, all these things, like, that you're like, oh, she's the exception. Like, she's good enough and strong enough that she's won him over. But, like, no, it's all part of his plan, which is, like... Because he's a dick that doesn't deserve her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you think he completely asked her to join for this point? And, like, I mean, to... Not necessarily for, like, the new Mexico thing, but, like, to seduce her, to eventually use her. I think he... I feel like... I think he needed sort of... I think it was partly just because she was her brother's sister that, like, they both had this, like, unique skill set of, like, they already had the languages, they already had, you know, like, certain advantages probably over, like, other people. So I don't know if it was, like, his grand plan to, like, always use her that way, but I think once he realized how good Mm -hmm. she was, like, the opportunity presented itself. Yeah, I agree. You know, I just had a thought that it's probably very obvious and telegraphed to everyone but me, but do you feel, because I just realized this, do you think that her brother was killed by Romare betraying him? Oh, shit. No, they, in, at least in the miniseries, they, it, he real like, you, James Norton is, like, he's, he plays her brother for, like, two minutes. He's the star of this, like, really cozy, like, mystery series on PBS called Grantchester, and I watched it, like, after I had started watching Grantchester, and I was like, oh, James Norton is playing her brother. I was like, oh, her brother's gonna die, and you, like, really see this guy that's known for playing this, like, cuddly priest detective just get, like, kicked, like, the shit kicked out of him, like, <laughs> literally gets, like, kicked to death by Nazis in like the first three minutes and I was like holy shit like so <laughs> at least in the miniseries they really made it that he was killed like by these horrible people and not Romer but it would that would be another thing that would make it more interesting yeah, would be yeah. if Romer I mean, was I don't like, mean like yeah, yeah like if Romer was like I killed your brother like a Darth Vader thing like that would be way more interesting <laughs> yeah I mean I mean more like from his machinations not yeah. that he like literally shot him in the face or whatever <laughs> oh no that, that that yeah that that could be possible honestly but, I do like yeah. the idea that maybe the brother was onto him or something yeah, yeah. So we really need, like, before Restless, because all these questions are way more interesting <laughs> than the resolution. And I am demanding that Megan write it, because it would be way better. I mean, I have always, like, 
my writing goal in life is a spy series. So just, there you go. Just change the names. Make there them like go. legally distinct. <laughs> and just like don't have guys like regarding their own penis. That just oh, like rule number one. I have like, like a page yeah. of things where I'm like, this will not be in this book. <laughs> These things annoy the shit out of me. This is not oh. going to be in this book. Oh god, I'm, I I'm love so... the idea of having a reverse outline of like things that will not see this, see the light um, of day in the story. I do that all the time with my own writing. Like it's like half of what I write is like out of spite for like things that annoy the shit out of me <laughs> that I never want to write. Yes, <laughs> there will not be a love triangle. Like that's yeah. one of the. There uh... will never be a point where anybody says you are not like other girls. Like that will not be said. And uh, no, I like. I love running around New York and going into museums. I have written more in museums than I do almost anywhere else because they're just so inspiring. And I'm just like, imagine running around here doing your spy training. So the Morgan Library, um, we went to oh, I love that place. in November. And I basically was like, and I figured out the end of this book. And I just <laughs> have to actually write it. So. This isn't really about this book, but it remind. It's I guess it's a plug. I'm allowed to have one because you guys talked about Downton Abbey for so long. <laughs> have Have either of you read uh, Middlesex? No, I own it. I have not read it. Oh my god, it's so, it. it's so weird that you said that because my mom and I were just talking about that book this morning, but I haven't read it. Yeah. So I read it like quite a while ago, and like I so to take it as a qualified recommendation. I loved it at the time, <laughs> but maybe it's like way problematic. I'm not. I don't. Not sure. But that's told as a three layer narrative between like the current day main character and then I think it was his parents and his grandparents, like told like in a very similar kind of way where it's like the it, that's what this book kind of reminded me of, like what it was going for narratively. I think Middlesex came out after this though, so like it's an unfair. Yeah, comparison, it was it but... was twenty twelve. Yeah, yeah, so is it that new, really? significantly later than yeah. My mom, it's it's just it's so weird that we're talking about this, and my mom and I were just talking about it. But yeah, it was 2012, and we were like having this whole conversation because I'm like, I know it's about like an intersex person now, but like it was written like just before the language shifted, so they're still saying like hermaphrodite, and oh, like geez. I don't know like yeah. if it falls into like any bad tropes now. But I was like, oh, that's really weird to think about. But yeah, that that's the thing is like I've read like. Before, because I, when I was reading it, I was like, this reminds me a lot of that book, which I loved, but like, should I bring it up if it's like hella problematic? <laughs> so I looked up some people talking about it and like some intersex communities are, think it's like not handled well and others think it's handled very well. So like, I think it's one of those like, see for yourself and weigh in. Yeah. But yeah, the, it's like not a, it's like yeah. not a monolith basically, but like it's, it's yeah. really, it's really hard when something like that, like I was thinking about it, I was like, it was written like just before like people really started talking about these things and like changing yeah. the language. So. Yeah. But uh, it does like, it just, this reminded me of stylistically, like just that, like parents and kids and other parents, like the yeah. layers on top of themselves. I'm a huge sucker for that sort of thing, which is part yeah. of why I love it. I really like this book. <laughs> yeah. I like books with split narratives. Um, mm -hmm. I actually love, I follow a few authors on Twitter and apparently like this shit is the hardest thing to write and to have like oh, two imagine. very distinct voices. So like if you can do it and get it published, major kudos. Um, and I think yeah. what, 
I think what helped this is that one of them is in first person and one of them is in third person. Definitely. Because yeah. other times, like, I've read books with, like, two first person narrators. It's like, I, if, like, you have a really shitty writer, and it's hard to do, so, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a shitty writer, but it's like, I can't tell which one of you is which and this is bad. Right. Like, <laughs> there was only one instance I, know, I noticed where he messed up the narrative, and one time during a sex scene, he uses I for Eva. And I was like, ah. Oh. So close. <laughs> um, but that's very nitpicky and unnecessary you, like, to mention. Did you like, reread the sex scenes a few times just to be like, all right, <laughs> you talked about great, okay. we could talk about sex, it's okay. <laughs> so maybe I found them very funny and read them out loud a couple times to a couple different people. I maybe could understand that. <laughs> and like, maybe I sent them to some of to like, very, I assume, friend of the show, Helen, and we both <laughs> laughed at, uh, like, Shed Come Garage for, like, a week. <laughs> yes, I have been trying to get Helen on the show and Aaron um, forever. Like, basically since this time last year was when I started planning the show. And it was Emily, Ollie, and then Helen and Aaron that I wanted on. And as you can tell, Helen and Aaron still have not been able to uh, make our schedules all align. So they are friends of the show, but they haven't actually been on yet. <laughs> it's unfortunate. This is me being very sad right now. So yeah, that's. I think. Never mind. I can't just g- gush about how great Helen is on literally every podcast I go on. <laughs> oh my god, we all know you're Helen's BFF. Yes. Yes, that's right. But we all love Helen. I want everybody to know. <laughs> even if even if Ryan just stole my repeat dressed crown and I'm like salty about it still. <laughs> that's okay. I think I have the best acquaintance number, so I'm happy. Um, and I've also met Helen, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Actually, it was really weird when Helen and I first, like, kind of started communicating. I was like, "Why do we have mutual friends? We went to rival high schools." So. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. There's a few years difference, so, um, so we weren't like actually at the same games. It's not that creepy, but I, I wouldn't think it's creepy. Or that much of a <laughs> coincidence, the, the creepy, I guess. Maybe the Helen is the real is spy. A, yeah. <laughs> Helen, are you a spy? <laughs> I'm just getting. I'm just getting revenge for when Ollie called me out, and you were all like, "He doesn't listen." So now I'm just gonna keep <laughs> no, name dropping other. No, people I said you do, and I was even like, "He's on the next episode." Of course he. <laughs> That's true. Ollie was That's like, true. "He doesn't You're listen." Right. That's right. More evidence that everything Ollie Brady says is a lie. <laughs> I love the idea of you, like, sending Helen, like, excerpts from sex scenes. Like, look at the shit that Tracy picked. Like, <laughs> uh, you're not that far off. <laughs> Great. Actually, the, so this is, this is book related. I sent her that sex scene and she said that she looked at it and she saw New York City, 1941 and out loud said, oh, Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a, a World War II period piece? Like, is that basically a selling I, point? It could be anything? That's basically one of my favorite errors, yes. It's <laughs> it's when my um my favorite show takes place and a, a couple of others. But yeah, it's I'm this is like my brand is like the British period piece. So like anyone who instantly knows, like like we I was just saying this before, the top five Friday in the comrade group is like futuristic media and I'm literally like trying to think of like a single thing that takes place in the future. 
And I was like, I can't think of anything. And Malcolm's like, I believe it. So, But I kind of also love that. Because, like, so many people focus on the futuristic stuff. I Period pieces, I'm finding, are more and more of a blind spot that, like, especially the further I get away from school. So, I mean, especially, expect me to hit you up a couple times and be like, I need something. I mean, there's good and bad. There's a lot of con- there's a lot of conservatism and racism that oh, goes God, along yes. with like yes. you know and like homophobia that goes along with period pieces. But I I try to be progressive about it and aware of like the shitty things. Like this is super imperialist. <laughs> like so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But. <laughs> Were you an English major? Are you the yes. the English major that was in love with Britlet? Yeah, <laughs> that, that 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 sums it up. <laughs> so. I yell about that occasionally. Not saying that that's bad. It's the the trope that all English majors are in love with Britlet. So, uh, so I think we're starting to kind of wrap up the books. So, usually, what we talk about next um, is the book drink. This is can be a drink inspired by the book, a drink you read while reading the book, or the drink that a makes drink you think a of drink this. you read while reading the book. You know what I mean. A drink you drink while reading the book. Oh, <laughs> Look, I didn't even realize that flub, and I was like, no, that makes sense. Even when you repeated it, I was like, I don't get it. Last night, I kept calling, I almost did it again, cufflinks handcuffs, which would have made the conversation so much better. Because I kept being like, the sterling silver handcuffs, and James is like, wait a second. Is it handcuffs or cufflinks? Because like, this just got so much better if it's handcuffs. <laughs> I really like the idea of like, Mrs. Darling, where are my handcuffs? <laughs> oh God, you had to go with Peter Pan? Oh, I was going to say, yeah. P- Peter Pan just got a lot more interesting. <laughs> but, oh. um, so I work at Target and it's winter and we have like the trucks that come in with our merchandise. And at some point while listening to this book, I was handed an extremely cold bottle of water because there was a point a couple weeks ago where like all the bottles of water and other beverages were coming off the truck like frozen because it's so freaking cold outside <laughs> so i would say either extremely cold water or hot tea like the tea that ruth accidentally burns herself with when she drinks a teapot in the tub because british people i'm drinking i brought my tea to my hot bath because who can have a hot bath without tea uh, i can <laughs> Are you also someone that microwaves your water, Ryan? No. If you my ever, own on the stove. Ever my own offend a British person. My own mother is, and she knows that it would offend British people, and she doesn't care. <laughs> is it better or worse that I use the stove, but I don't have, like, a tea kettle, so it's just in a pot that I pour in a cup? Is that okay? I, I honestly am not sure, because I've always had a kettle. So. And also, sometimes, maybe, when the water boils, I'll, like, put mac and cheese in it. <laughs> as long as you don't use the mac and cheese water for tea. <laughs> because that sounds a little gross. I, I need to go. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a wonderful image that I'm going to just be giggling about all night. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Ryan, like, eating mac and cheese out of a mug. Like... <laughs> Okay, this is so irrelevant, but when I was in middle school, I would fill a thermos with eat, with mac and cheese every morning and then bring it to school and eat it all day. All day? Wait a second, yeah. all day. So you're like in class okay, it was a, sneaking... It was a big thermos. So you're like in class sneaking mac and cheese? 
Yeah. Oh did it God, keep the mac and cheese? It's better than what I did. Now. Did it keep the mac it's and cheese? It's better than what warm? I did in high school. Yeah. It's a thermos. <laughs> but it's better than in high school, which I know Tracy went to high school with me, yeah. but she probably doesn't know that I'm a garbage person and this is what I would do. Is I would bring in a whole cake. And a bottle of Sierra Mist, like a two-liter bottle, and keep them, like, hidden in my big coat and just, like, eat and drink them all day. <laughs> like, every day? Like, every day for, like, a month. And I was like, I gotta stop eating so much cake. Like, where did you keep getting whole cakes from? The supermarket. <laughs> I'm not gonna make them. I love that you say that, like, it's normal to, like, be walking around like a flasher with like a coat, like a cake and a bottle of Sierra Mist in your coat. I can't breathe. What you... it's, that's what, you know, that's what high school's for. I, guess. I have to write that down. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I got... So now, every all your listeners know about how fucked up I am. <laughs> I know. I gotta find the official cake. Okay. I can breathe again. <laughs> okay, let's see. Because I it was all oh yeah, this is definitely it. It was the it was the Entenmann's marshmallow devil's food cake. Oh, it is like to die for. But yeah, I'm okay. I have a problem. <laughs> no, you don't you had, still you do had, that. You had though. a problem. You kicked that habit. Yeah. Yeah, I kicked that habit. Well, we're very glad you didn't do that through all of all of high school, and that you were able to be with us today. I thought you, I thought yeah. you were about to save the podcast. <laughs> all of a sudden, we're gonna we're gonna like finish recording, and Ryan's gonna whip out like a marshmallow Devonson's cake. Like they'll never know. Oh man, <laughs> that totally would happen every podcast. I believe it now. This is in the Ryan retcon now. That's why that's that's why everyone hates editing when I'm a guest because it's just constant <laughs> eating cake. Oh, I have so many tears. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, you bet. You better leave this in. <laughs> oh, I'm totally <laughs> leaving this in. I, I'm just trying to keep from. <laughs> I'm sorry to derail this so much. Oh, uh, so while I'm trying no, to catch my breath, you're, you're entitled <laughs> since you you're entitled since you didn't love this book. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, what books will you be or what book will you be reading next that is not for the podcast? Whew. I can breathe. Tracy, you want to go first? Um, I am reading uh, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by I think Becky Albertalli is the title, but um, they're making it into a movie um, called Love Simon. They changed the title because obviously it's complicated, and it's about <laughs> um, a closeted gay teenager being, you know, like sort of like blackmailed into helping this kid, like help him. Um, hook up with like his crush who's like Simon's best friend so it's all about him you know trying to come out and he lives in like conservative Georgia so it's it's been interesting so far I really like it yeah is it good let me know when you finish it I haven't read that one yet but it's been one of those on my list that I'm like I'm sure I'll like this I don't know where the the divide of me going I why I haven't read it yet 
It's so. starting to get really weird because people our age are starting to write books and get published. So yeah. when you start reaching the point where like Tumblr and like Harry Potter slash fan fiction are in books, it starts like making yeah. you feel really old. And it's one of those like Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell was the same where it was like, <laughs> oh, this is all about like Harry Potter fan communities. And now I feel like ancient because this is starting to make it into like young adult literature. Yeah, so. you know. To know how my college life was. It's fangirl, but plus I also got diagnosed with like an autoimmune disease, so like I couldn't get out much. But like I'm reading fangirl and I was like, oh, well, this is my college experience. I'm glad <laughs> someone captured this. Yeah. I like there were points reading it where I was like, I feel exposed. Like, yes. this, this is not good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I actually read Carry On before I read fangirl. <clears throat> Okay. Which is a very, very weird mistake to make, but I love them both. <laughs> so, um, I am excited about that movie, though. It does look fairly well cast. This is a good year for book movies. Yeah, so, it really is. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, we re- we read the book, which is an Australian podcast. Um, they do the book and then the movie, so they are in for like a really great year, I think. So they just did Jurassic Park. I haven't listened yet, but I love both of those, and I love those too. So. It'll be fun. Um, Ryan, what are you reading next? I am reading something way less, like, smart and insightful than all that. <laughs> I don't think any of that am... is smart or insightful, just <laughs> YA talk. <laughs> no, but, no, but, okay, so I stand by my analysis. <laughs> I am currently halfway through a, a comic book series called The Authority, which is, like, super edgy, like, superheroes that are, like, let's just beat up everybody. (laughs) And they're, like, basically, like, fascist authoritarians who decide to take over the world. And I started reading it because we did a, like, offshoot of it for my comic book podcast, which I assume... Are we doing plugs here, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, so I'll get to that in a second. But it's kind of, like, really great, and, like, I want to hate it, (laughs) But it's great. So everyone should read Warren Ellis' Authority. It's kind of awesome. Okay. I do need to hit you up for recommendations. I bought DC books today. You'll be so proud. Oh, yes. <laughs> One of us. Yes. No, still not yet. Still not yet. Still. <laughs> Almost. Like, I bought books. This is a first step. What'd you buy? Uh, the new Mr. Mr. Miracle. Mr. Miracle. I, I said it wrong once, and now every time I'm, like, hesitant, but I don't know what I said, so... You said Miracle Man. That's what I said. Which yes. is an Alan Moore book from the 80s that I was reading at when you said oh, that. And I was like, wait, you're reading Miracle Man? It's literally no. in my lap right now. And then you're like, no, I mean Mr. Miracle. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's still very cool. Uh, I got that, and then I got the first two issues of Doomsday Clock. Because every... It's I don't know too early for me to commit my opinion of it on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's about what I'm hearing on. The, I, I listen to a podcast that goes through what is released that week, or it comes out the Monday after the Wednesday, um, mm-hmm. and they're about of the same opinion. But I feel like this is the year I'm finally actually going to sit down and read Watchmen. So I feel like you, mm. you really. It was my first superhero comic. It was my first graphic novel. So yeah. really. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my first one was Nailbiter. Was, no, it was. Uh, I that was, was my second. Save, I was going to save this pedantic thing for next episode, <laughs> but it's actually not a graphic novel. I know. It's still a collected <laughs> edition of serialized comic books. Just saying. <laughs> 
No, I know. Graphic I, novel has to be published standalone first. I know people hate it. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a oh, noob. Wait, is that the difference? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I have a running conversation with one of uh, mine and Tracy's friends, John, where like graphic novel doesn't actually mean anything, and it's just like a term that people say so that they could feel better about reading comic oh, books, totally. and like everyone, get over yourself. Comic books are the best. <laughs> Well, in case... I don't mean you two. No, yeah. I mean all the people that are like, I don't read comic books, I read graphic novels. It's like, okay. Uh, in case you didn't realize what we're reading next <laughs> yeah. is, in fact, a comic book. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, which I'm really excited about because we have not done one on the podcast yet. I think it's kind of the last medium outside of poetry. Please don't make me read poetry, guys. Please don't make me talk <laughs> poetry. I can read poetry. Please don't make me talk poetry. Because as you can tell from this book... I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and I just make shit up. And thus, this is how I have an English degree. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I'm glad I'm not the only English major that when they had me poetry, I'm like, Oh, God. Like, no. okay. No, like, <laughs> this. Am I, like, the only one who likes reading poetry? I'm a no, 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 no. Major. I like I, I, poetry. I enjoy, I enjoy poetry, but when, like, like Megan, if you make me talk about it, I'll be like, this thing, mm. I guess. Like, <laughs> There's a, a an indie publisher. It's um I think it's Right Bloody Publishing or yeah I think that is what it is, um and they do current poets and I think you're also committed to like having to do some tours and things like that. Um, those I like because like I have a collection of zombie poetry and a collection of superhero poetry. That and sounds one amazing. on badass women. And one on witches. It's like things like that I am all down for. Reading poetry from the 1800s has never been my thing. Yeah, I could see so. that. Um, so yeah, if you ever suggest a poetry, if you want to be a guest, please don't suggest poetry. Because I'm going <laughs> to I think I'm going to change my answer and let's read some Keats. I was no. going to say, no. I was going to say, Ryan and I love Keats. So no. <laughs> that's something I know we have in common. So. I will be having nightmares tonight. There will be a, an English class that I apparently forgot I was registered to nightmare. Thank you. Especially Keats, because when I read Keats, I'm like, I have no idea what your point is, but it's pretty to read. <laughs> I know. It's very pretty, but no, no. Um, we are, I don't even think I've said what we're reading next. We're reading Local by Brian Wood. <clears throat> was this released issue by issue or is this? Okay. Yes. It was a 12 issue series and it's, you know, this is, this is a grown up comic book. It's not just a writer. There's artists, <laughs> there's letterers. I know all that. I was going to go into it next time. Um, I got home and basically threw together my list. So um, we'll go through. Yeah, I would like is. to, I, I try to give the penciler equal footing yeah. generally. So it's Ryan Kelly. Okay. Whatever. That's we'll save that. That's a little taste for how obnoxiously nerdy I am. We're just gonna sit back and just let you talk next up. So it'll be great. Oh no, please no, don't. No. <laughs> but you do have podcasts that you have people on and you sit let them sit back and listen to you talk. I don't know, I can't segue this at all. Uh, Ryan, what are your podcasts? Oh my god, I'll try to keep this brief because like Megan, I just never stop recording podcasts. Uh, so you can find me every alternating Wednesdays, once on Divisive Issues, where we take controversial comic books, usually superhero comic books, but sometimes like manga or like comic book movies, but usually just something that when you hear the premise, you're like, that sounds bizarre. And we have two of us who are huge comic book fans and two of us who don't read comic books. And we read it and like we analyze it from 
a literature perspective, from like a how stupid is this perspective, from a feminist perspective, and we it's a, it's a lot more fun than that sounds. I promise. <laughs> it is. It's a lot of cursing and, each other out. <laughs> yes, and that's divisive issues. And you and on you can also find me at Oops I Talked Politics, where we talk about political stuff, and we are about to release. Actually, by the this comes out. Yeah, Sunday. we're. Yeah, so we are about to release a episode with all listeners telling their stories about like what their upbringing was like from like what their family was like politically and what it's like talking to them now. And the previous episode was the four of us talking about that. And it was pretty serious business. So that one's maybe less funny, but you know, it's whatever. And then the silliest <laughs> of my shows is where you can find our, our BFF Helen every other week as well. Uh, we'll get it right next year, colon, an adventure in cinema, where my co-host Michael and I, and Helen joins us for our letters section every episode, we try to guess what happens in the movie We Bought a Zoo for an entire year. And we bring on guests, and we get little nuggets of information, and we're not at all accurate. It's more <laughs> just like jokes about like zombies and Scientology and the mafia and stuff like that. So that's Divisive Issues, Oops, I Talk Politics, and we'll get it right next year, An Adventure in Cinema. And the current movie for We'll Get It Right Next Year is still... Um... It is still We Bought a okay. Zoo. <laughs> when does your year we end? Will be... Yeah, we will be watching it at either the end of March or early April, because okay. we launched the podcast on April 1st, accidentally, because we're idiots. <laughs> <laughs> what was and, the goal? Yeah. When was the release date goal? Because April 1st Well, we perfect. were just like... Well, we were just like, let's release it on, like, whatever the next Saturday is. And it was April Fool's Day. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we'll be watching it sometime within the next couple months. All right. To, sometime. But, yeah, it's I've been putting on previously on sections, so you can actually jump in now where you couldn't <laughs> before it was impierceable. <laughs> nice. Um, Tracy, what about you? Where can people find you if you want to um, found? I don't have any podcasts, but I have done guest spots on a couple. I did one for Ryan's show, Divisive Issues, about being a new comic book fan. And um, I've also appeared on Falling in Love Montage for their Emma episode, and then at the very end of their Clueless episode. So if anybody wants to hear those, they can go look them up. And um, I'm also on Facebook under my name, Tracy Tanoff. So if you feel the urge to friend me, just say hi. Uh, I do um, have a blog that I may or may not be starting back up again this year. It's um, pleasureinagoodnovel.blogspot.com. I'll give that link to Megan in case it's hard to follow. But yes, that's um, where I review books, hopefully from a more intersectional standpoint than I used to, sort of analyzing, you know, the strengths and weaknesses. Did it pass the Bechdel test? You know, that sort of thing. So I'm hoping to get that going again this year. That'll be awesome. I hope so. Yeah. At the very least, come back and talk books with us another time. Both of you. Cool. I would love Not to. Not just in two weeks, because yes, <laughs> you guys have to come back in two weeks. I would like to second that Tracy's episodes of Falling in Love Montage are fantastic. Oh, thank you. And Ryan's <laughs> I... episodes of Falling in Love Montage were good. Uh, well, do go on. <laughs> I no, will the... uh, third all of this because I like all of your episodes. No, the, um, the Wonder the Wonder Woman episode was amazing. It so. is. I really like. You could not be a little less good. Like I have to follow this up. <laughs> I was trying to be nice to someone else and not talk about myself. You guys are making it very hard to not be an arrogant prick. Well, I guess this is the way of saying my way of saying I'm going to be on Falling in Love montage as well. 
not talking about anything that is super high uh, quality. I'm talking about Fifty Shades of Grey Darker. <sighs> Hell yeah. Did you guys record that no. yet? No. Yes. I'm so ready. <laughs> I'm glad you're ready. Because <laughs> I don't have to watch it. <laughs> it is... I was about to say it's worth the watch. It is bizarre. This. I have to say, I think the gray episode is my favorite episode of JBC. That's because it's so outrageous and it's so it's funny. so bad. That book is so bad. <laughs> it looks like you're about to just start crying <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> just, the conversation that happened afterwards was like, "Did any of us say anything we don't want to hear our mothers to hear?" <laughs> it's like did any of us accidentally talk about our sex lives I think we're good <laughs> and then <laughs> Ryan was like can I come back on and talk about something actually good I was like yes yes you like, can <laughs> you at least followed it up with something in my wheelhouse and that's because it's Mr. Darcy so <laughs> yeah have you read that book <laughs> no but I, I've read others by her I love um, she got a little bit better as she went along the Colonel Brandon the Colonel Brandon one is really wonderful okay so yeah yeah, I need to actually read all of Jane Austen. I've only read Northanger Abbey, which is my favorite, and oh, Pride and Prejudice. Get, please don't get me started. We'll be here all night. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and Ryan has to go record. Yeah. Um, so for this show, you can find us on, I think I have finally switched them all over to just JBC Podcast. I might have to go back in and actually add this, but I think I finally got Instagram over to that, so... Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at JBC Podcast, or on the website, judgingbookcovers.com. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. I don't know the date of that, but we'll be back in two weeks, and join us and uh, read along. So, thank you guys again. Have a good night. Do we say you bye? You can say or... bye, yes. <laughs> bye. Thank you. I had so much fun.